Welcome to Location Cube, a Weaver Beyond the Numbers podcast. I'm Howard Altschuler, real estate and construction leader for Weaver, and I'm here with my tax partner, Aaron Griss. Our guests today are Will Northern and Michael Crane with Northern Crane Realty based out of Fort Worth. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Howard, Aaron. Thanks for having us here. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us today. So do you guys just want to start off and tell us a little bit about yourselves and your career paths? Sure. Yeah. Um, So I grew up in Fort Worth, went to TCU, was a business major, and I started out as a landman. So I was doing a lot of title work and, uh, you know, researching in the basements of various courthouses around Tarrant, Tarrant and surrounding counties, and then ultimately got my real estate license in 2008. Uh, really initially to help my dad uh, manage some property that we own in a little town called San Saba, Texas. We own 12 little buildings around the town square there and so I wanted to, it was a good reason to kind of start learning about the real estate industry and uh, so getting a license is a natural place to start. So fast forward uh, after I got my real estate license and was mostly started in residential but I got my broker's license and then started doing a little more work in commercial uh, and got my broker's license at that time and started doing real estate transactions for the oil and gas companies. And that was during the Barnett boom. So I was helping them acquire drill sites, uh, which was really contentious at the time. Uh, if you can remember, you have back in the Barnett shale days in Tarrant County doing urban drilling. And so I was helping mm-hmm. do assemblages, uh, getting enough land mass to do a drill site. Um, so I learned a lot during that time, a lot of kind of creative uh, real estate transactions that, that aren't the traditional, you know, buy, sell a house, buy, sell a building. Orchestrating assemblages is a different different animal where you've got to be, you know, confidential and, um, you know, there's a lot of timing involved in it, uh, which slowly kind of led me to learning about commercial real estate as well, which kind of expanded the scope and um, started Northern Realty Group at that time in 2010 and just kind of started building that brand and um, getting some agents to come on board uh, and growing that locally in Fort Worth. We located our office on West Magnolia in the near south side, which was kind of a a uh, good place for me to plant my flag, so to speak. And it was just getting revitalized at that point, it too. Was, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. going to ask yeah. what year was sure. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was, gosh, that would probably would have been 2013 or so. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of getting going. The TIF uh, there was really starting to grow its balance, and developers were getting interested, so those TIF funds were being uh, dispersed. And so I got to learn about TIFs. Mm-hmm. I served on near South Side's uh, development committee. Um, getting to see where how those dollars could help bridge the gap to to help make some of these older buildings get revitalized and play a role. So there was a lot of similarity between the work that my family did in San Saba, renovating these older buildings, working with the community to try and get new businesses in, and what was happening in the near south side. Uh, so I saw a lot of parallels there. And um, it, it was a great time. It was a really busy, good place to kind of create, create a brand. Uh, Ultimately started a property management company around 2010, or, or no, 2000, what would that have been, 18, I think. Um, so kind of started that. Um, so we were doing residential brokerage, commercial brokerage, and property management uh, with my mom as our office manager. Um, yeah, which was <laughs> started at the dining room table and then took it all the way through. Mom was ready to kind of start slowing down and 
Um, that was around the time that this guy and I uh, struck up a friendship and just kind of started talking about next steps. And uh, here we are today. There you go. So about 2019 or so. Mm -hmm. uh, I came in this a little differently, sideways, had done a lot of different things, grew up in Fort Worth, went to A&M undergrad, uh, then uh, you know, went to D.C. and spent some time in Washington, D.C. working for then congressman uh, and then for a government affairs firm. And I came back here and went to law school in Fort Worth, and then our governor started running for president, and I jumped on that campaign. So went up to D.C. with uh, President Bush 43, and did a lot of different things, uh, ending up in China. Uh, so I was chief of staff at the uh, embassy there in China from 06 to 09, and then we stayed until 2015, 2014. Uh, and then my wife and I really wanted, uh, we kept talking about uh, moving back to the United States. We'd adopted twins. We wanted to be back in the United States. And I kept saying, I want my children raised the way I was raised. Uh, what happened during that time, probably when you started your business in 2010, I mean, Fort Worth just hit this amazing growth pattern. When we left in 2000, we were not moving back to Fort My wife and I were not moving back to Fort Worth. It was too sleepy, too slow. Um, I think when you have kids, you start thinking about things in a different prism, a different light. Um, and for us, I, when I kept saying I want them raised the way I was raised, we didn't necessarily mean Fort Worth, but we started spending some time in Fort Worth and understanding the exponential growth that was starting to happen, the investment that was starting to happen that he highlighted a little bit. And uh, it was back on a trip and you know, our whole family's still in Fort Worth. We're like, I think this is where we need to be. And so we purposefully moved back in 2014 to be involved in Fort Worth um, in all the, uh, just the, 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 everything that was happening there and uh, we met probably about 2015 mm -hmm. um, through a, a leadership organization really your wife really Liz maybe through Steer Fort Worth yeah. or, or um, which was a young leadership uh, organization his wife and I were on the board together um, and just seeing everything that was happening so I went into real estate in 2015 um, we do residential uh, property management and commercial as he says sort of the full gamut um, and we still see, I mean, that growth is happening in Fort Worth. Yeah, that's interesting. Howard's been, lived in um, China for many years. We were there around the same time. I was in Shanghai oh, yeah. um, from 2006 to 2010. That's great. Uh, with, working, we working for, with no, the, with Ernst & Young. Ernst & Young, yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Well, you saw, if you were there too, you saw the growth that was happening there. It was, it was crazy. For, it, yes. was, it was very fun. Yes. Um, don't think I necessarily want to go back, but <laughs> if I had to turn back the clock and do it again, I definitely would. It's a different time there, for sure. Mm -hmm. Different mm -hmm. relations, and it, but it was a good time to be there at the time. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Agree. So you guys kind of talked about how you guys met a little bit, but how did you guys come together and start Northern Crane? Yeah, I think we started having conversations and really started looking at, um, you know, you get to a point, you only have so much capacity as one person mm -hmm. and with the team. And so I think we end up complementing each other in different ways. Um, you know, Will didn't talk about it, but had been on the zoning commission for eight years. I think you were chair for six or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the mayor's, the former mayor Price is appointee. So we got to know each other through that. He's got a lot of knowledge there. You know, I've now gone into this public service role um, as the council member for the District 3, the west side of Fort Worth. Um, and so we both sort of shared a, a, a passion for that involvement in the city. And so I think when we've, we started having these conversations, you can clarify too, we started having these conversations about um, merging what that would look like and what strengths we bring to it. I think we, we sort of settled, we, we've got different strengths and mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, 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 in lots of different ways and what that looks like and it just made sense. 
Definitely, I'll add to that. You know, Michael has an incredible resume, uh, licensed attorney, MBA, and so for me, finding a partner that, you know, had that worldly experience, um, just business acumen, crazy, kind of like crazy, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't turn off all over the place. Yeah, uh, but knows everyone and um, just is a really hard worker, and so to be able to take that skill set and and knowledge base and organizational structure uh, and, and put that into you know what had been a bootstrapped startup mm-hmm. um, to kind of get rise to the next level so to speak uh, was was some of the impetus for that so. good deal so what would you say your you know your philosophy or mission for for the company yeah, I mean, legacy. yeah, we talk a lot about this legacy. He mentioned, and I'll let you talk about that, the, the San Saba piece of it. Mm-hmm. But for us, I, I think you look at, um, you know, we both are Fort Worth guys that want to be in Fort Worth. It doesn't mean we don't do things other places, but that really has been our focus, a small boutique brokerage that really focuses on Fort Worth and the Metroplex. And so uh, we talk about that all the time. You know, I, you know, my dad had a small business there in, in Fort Worth and my grandfather was a, a real estate agent later in life as a second, maybe third career. Um, and so we kind of have built on that. And then he's got this legacy piece from what he still does with his family as part of that too. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Um, yeah, I think for me, kind of the philosophy for the company, um, in addition to legacy would be like our community service mm-hmm. and how we're both really passionate about Fort Worth and wanting to do what we can and bring our skills to make it just a better city to live in. And, you know, I think we've exemplified that through uh, certainly city council, but the zoning commission and the various boards um, mm-hmm. that we serve on, uh, which is quite a few, <laughs> a lot of words, um, which is great because, you know, um, we're able to give back and kind of share our our knowledge to try and help various organizations grow and grow the city. So that's that's one of the things I really like being uh, about being involved in real estate and then because it, it ties you into the community and, and being able to really impact uh, a community's growth and, and be boots on the ground to learn, you know, what's going on, where is their need, and then tapping into those infrastructures that can provide solutions for improvement. And I think that's one of the things we talk about too. You know, I, I have this philosophy and I, I move in that direction that you know God only gave you a certain amount of time. So you have to really figure out what is your passion. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the uh, people that are part of our team, that's the way they look at it too. And we encourage them to look at it is where, where are you gonna be involved? What are you gonna do? How do you do that? I mean, and be sincere about it. It's not just about being involved because you're always looking for business. I think people see through that very quickly. Mm-hmm. They want someone that's authentic. They want someone that is truly there because they want to um, make things better. And so I think that's where what we try to exemplify with the people that come onto the team. That's what we encourage them to do as well. Mm-hmm. And you see that really great relationships and transactions and everything happen because of that involvement, authenticity, character, all those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, a lot of our agents are involved in various boards and commissions and mm-hmm. various things like that, which we really encourage them to do. So that's a big part of our philosophy. Yeah, yeah it's very it's very easy to tell when someone's passionate mm-hmm. about something, um, and you know, it makes a big difference. You want to work with someone who, wh- whether it's business work, whether it's you know community work, what have you, um, with someone who's you know wanting to do it for more than just 
like you said, more than just making the connections or more than just doing it for, you know, to build the resume. For sure. Right. You know, we learned about that in college. Yeah. You know, don't join this group just because you want to build your resume. Right. You know, and well, you know, I, I, I carry I that with me. I don't like it when someone says, oh, you're such great, a great networker, because I never look at it that way. And so someone that's networking, you can feel there's not really something authentic. I'm just showing up and having conversations, and I know you do too. It's There's never really, probably there should be more of how am I going to get business out of this? It's sort of like, what what am I really trying to find here and having those conversations too? Well, I think more people then that translates into real business right. as part of it. Right. I'll take us off track for a second, but one of the things that I tend to live by from my relationship building is, you know, how do I, what can I do for this person? That's right. How do I meet right. them to understand where can I help? Not so much, what are they going to do for me? It comes, what goes around comes around. It will pay And back, if I help sure. out someone, they'll, I'll, I'll get it back somehow, but try not to worry about that part of it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Howard recommended a book called The Go-Giver, which yeah. is kind of just has this mindset, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. now, what can I do for you to help you? I was thinking this morning, it's been a long time since I read it. I almost feel like I need to read it again. Yeah. <laughs> but I might change my mind on how I do things, so maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> so we try to keep this podcast Fort Worth oriented, but you guys have mentioned San Saba, San Saba a couple times. Mm -hmm. The con capital of the world? or the just world. Texas? Of the world. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where is San Saba population? Just tell me sure. about it. Sure. I mean, it's a very small town. If uh, Texas were a dartboard, it would be the bullseye. It's San Saba County. It's a county seat. And uh, on the San Saba River, which is a tributary of the Colorado, uh, lots of pecan orchards, uh, a few connections to um, Fort Worth. The Leonard family pecan orchards are out there, um, amongst a few others. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a great little town, and um, my dad fell in love with. It was kind of a halfway point um, where my sister went to boarding school out in West Texas, and so it was just a natural, natural point. But fell in love with it, and. Bought a little river house out there and then a bunch of commercial properties, commercial and, yeah. properties. and funny enough, uh, the pandemic actually helped that small town tremendously. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think a lot of people just wanted to get into smaller mm -hmm. communities, yeah. so the population's around 4,000, so it's it's pretty rural. Yeah. Uh, they have a little cattle auction barn, but the little core downtown around the courthouse has really uh, started to blossom with uh, some wineries popping up and a steakhouse and uh, really boutique hotel boutique hotel Dolphmeyer. yeah yeah and a really great uh, western wear store called harry's that's really cool so lots of historic uh real estate preservation mm -hmm. going gone on there with the old buildings which is an important thing to me um i i really enjoy historic preservation uh serve on fort worth's um historic fort worth board uh so that's a big big thing I, I champion is trying to save old buildings. Okay. Because they get torn down a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Once they're gone, what, they're what, gone. What are we going to do about the TNP building? What are we going to do about the TNP <laughs> building? Um, yeah, that's a big topic uh, right now. You know, it recently went before HCLC, Historic Cultural mm -hmm. Landmarks Commission. Uh, I serve on that uh, commission right now. And, uh, you know, there was a recent engineering uh, survey done. And uh, really, I think it's in... All things considered, it's in pretty good shape. Uh, so hopefully something really cool will happen there. It's, uh, it's a project waiting to be done. Well, it, it just seems like the way things are moving on the south side of downtown and then kind of moving up from the south side, uh, it's got to converge and there's going to be demand for, for something to be done there. Yeah. So. Well, there, are, there are negotiations going on. I'll say this, that piece is an important part of the Lancaster revitalization. Mm -hmm. 
A&M, as you know, has $180 million investment in that south side of Fort Worth uh, downtown. And so it'll be, you know, we were realized that we were the only city that didn't have a major research institution. So that's what that will be. So I know all of that area is being looked at and I know there are ongoing conversations with the owner uh, and the son and asking what can be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the city stands ready to help in any way it can because it is an important part of that, that whole revitalization. Yeah. So Northern Crane, so there's, from what I understand, there's three different arms, residential, commercial, and property management. Mm -hmm. Are there some synergies there or are there challenges and issues with operating all three of them? Yeah, I'd say there's definitely synergies. That was kind of the, the thought when um, we started all those practices and because oftentimes, you know, a person that owns commercial real estate owns residential mm -hmm. or owns property that they need managed, investment property. Uh, and so a lot of the work that we do when we work with a client, we like to work with them holistically in their entire portfolio. So we'll be helping them buy or sell, you know, residential investment property and then managing their uh, you know, commercial property, helping them lease it up. We work with a lot of developers as well. Uh, I think my time in zoning really kind of helped connect me and uh, kind of find the lay of the land there. So we do a lot of site selection mm -hmm. and they'll build something, we'll help lease it up and then hopefully get to do a disposition if that's part of their plan later mm -hmm. on. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of synergies as you, you've hit it on the head for sure. Do you, get, do you have challenges sometimes in terms of allocating resources or Never. conflicts or anything like that? <laughs> Not a single Never challenge. Never visited. <laughs> <laughs> Allocation resource of what's mm -hmm. happening, I'd say, you know, we leaned really heavy into the commercial side mm -hmm. uh, for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, residential just seemed to be operating on its own. Of course, with interest rate changes, et cetera, a lot is slowed down, but you see Residential, I think, has slowed down much, much more right. than than commercial mm. overall. Um, this is when we're thankful to have that property management arm yeah. for some keep the lights on. Yeah, yeah cash mm -hmm. flow. I mean, the interest rates going up. I mean, it impacts the real estate right. market tremendously. Right. So there's no really beating around the bush there. Right. But yeah, it sounds like it just it enables you guys to keep keep that whole relationship with your clients. Right? For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And when you say commercial, are you specific to any particular property type, or are you agnostic between you know office retail industrial etc you know we really are agnostic um, what tends to happen is that an agent in our firm will tend to kind of hone in on a specific asset class mm -hmm. or geographic area and and own that um, but because a lot of the way that we originate business is through relationships um, we work on all property types um, so yeah we, we don't just necessarily we're not just the industrial brokers along the I-35 corridor between these exits. Right, right. It's not really like that. Okay. So you guys know, I'm assuming you know Rory and Ryan McGuire. Yeah. Um, they were on our show a couple months ago, mm -hmm. um, and they were talking about how they've kind of evolved. I think they started a lot with medical office yep. and then kind of moving regular office and retail now. And so it's just, you know, they're just following, you know, the trends and, you know, make, taking advantage of where the market happens to be. So, Definitely. and I'm, have you been to their office? Have you seen what they did with, with On their South building? Main? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really, amazing. It's really it? great ground up and that uh, porch they have. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's really neat. Yep. They did a good job with that. Yeah. Those, those guys are great. Yeah. Very cool. So let's go back to residential for a second. There's been, you know, we're in the middle of a whole slew of lawsuits regarding the commissions. Yeah. 
um, that I guess the sellers are paying on behalf of the buyers mm -hmm. and allegations of collusion and price fixing, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of what, what's, what's your thoughts on that and what do you see as potentially going to be the fallout from all of this? For you. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'll say obviously that makes what's happening right now, a lot of uh, real estate brokerages uh, and real estate agents nervous, mm -hmm. uh, understandably. What I'll say to this is I think there were protections already in place maybe people weren't taking advantage of. You have a buyer's rep agreement that has a lot of this outlined in it. Um, something to let, I mean, something people should know is the commission was always negotiable. Mm -hmm. um, there was a sort of a standard 6%, but that was always negotiable. In fact, you, we had certain uh, safeguards in place with our agents too, that they're able to negotiate that with their buyers or their seller to, to, to get a deal, whether it's a listing or a, a representation. And, and we, we figured that out with them individually. I, I'll say this across the board, uh, even though people are nervous, um, you still need a real estate agent to help you with the transaction. You may think that you mm -hmm. don't, but there are uh, times and things that happen not anticipating a transaction. You need someone that really knows what they're doing. Um, I, I can say um, I've had people come later that were, and say that, that, gosh, I wish I would have known this. I wish I would have known this. I was like, well, if you'd had an agent, then mm -hmm. you would have. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't think there's a replacement uh, overall for not having a good agent. And then you got to figure out that commission and what you're willing to do. But um, I don't, uh, we'll see how the lawsuits work out, but I think there's no, there's still no replacement for having a good agent representing you on whichever side you are. Right. And, 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 you know, especially on the resident, we're talking residential mm -hmm. here. If you're a buyer, um, chances are you're not an expert. That's right. Chances are, especially mm -hmm. if you're a younger buyer, this is the first time you've ever done anything like this. Mm -hmm. yes. And this is going to be the biggest outlay that you will potentially ever make okay. until you sell your house by another one. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I can't imagine not having representation, right. you know, because like you said, it's just too important of a deal. Um, and there's too many nuances and too many laws that you, you know, if something goes wrong, you know, you need someone to help. So my, my wife's a mortgage lender and, you know, I just, I just hear stories about things happening on just, you know, the buying and selling side, right. let alone the lending side where it's like, you know, she's going, you know, we're talking the realtor, we can't figure this out. Right. And, you know, can't imagine not having someone that's knowledgeable if you're in a situation where even the experts can't figure it out sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to some people about this sometimes too. I said, would you jump out of an airplane without a parachute? They're like, well, no, that's silly, I wouldn't do that. Okay, well, why would you go into a legal transaction that you don't know, you, you don't know mm -hmm. exactly what that language says? Yeah. So you may save a thousand, two thousand dollars, a seller might, you know, FISBO for sale by owner by not having someone represent you. But I think there's also the benefit of having a third party that's not you emotionally tied to the transaction that can have these um, tough conversations with another agent and get to a point that makes a deal that both um, are uh, you you end up and that two thousand you, you feel like you might have saved I'm just using that number out there but that you might have saved by not having you know it's probably ten thousand or by not having an agent on the side uh, on your side um, really you might have negotiated a higher deal you might have you might have done you also might have eliminated all the stress that you had dealing with mm -hmm. it yourself and I I, I think there's a, a value to be put on just making the transaction go smoothly, um, you know, across the board, whether it's with your lender, whether it's with uh, you know your title company, mm -hmm. where there's all these other things, your um, your home inspector, all of those are uh, my clients probably don't understand even some of the things I've done to lessen the stress on them sure. with things that I've done uh, of making sure everything goes smooth, and they didn't even know it was a problem yeah. because I said this happened, we got it solved, it's all good, it's still moving forward. 
So, do you think we might see with the advent of you know Zillow and all these other apps, you can essentially search homes from your cell phone, right? You don't even you almost don't even have to go see most of the homes you're you're looking to buy. Do you think we might see kind of the the process bifurcated a little bit, where realtors just do a little bit less, and maybe they hand the handle the, the negotiations and the backside legal work, and the fees reduce a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess my reaction, I'll, if you have one, is we we love to buy things online now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just to equate it to that. Um, but how many how many times you look and you kind of find what you want, but then you still go to the store to go touch it, feel it, see it, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. or you get it and you're disappointed. Yes, <laughs> or you get yeah. That's <laughs> the other part. Then you figure <laughs> out how you got to rebox it up and send it back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there is a a certain amount. I look at it this way from the from uh, apps and online that will streamline some of the process. Mm-hmm. I still don't think it it re- it replaces. A, a good a real estate agent or broker or someone that knows what they're doing that can kind of help you through because the the object might look really shiny online, but mm-hmm. until you really, you know, someone that's looked at sellers disclosures before and knows, well, that's probably something we want to have checked out. You can't do that just, and you think you can, but again, I, I would just use it as, I mean, I, I listen, I, I, I read a lot and I always want to have my, you know, Kindle or Audible or something like that but there's nothing still about holding a book and sitting there with a book itself. And I, I just equate it the same way. Yeah, it's, I'll, I'll nerd out on you for a second. Whenever I'm reading financial <laughs> statements, I like to have them printed out, the tick and tie and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I pay as much attention when I'm doing it Online. digitally. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. So, you know, interesting, my wife, when we were in China, we were coming back and we bought a house about a year before we moved mm-hmm. back. 2009, great time to buy a house, right, I will say. Right. <laughs> and she looked at, you know, 40, 50 of them online and said, these are my top 20 houses. Right. And she said, like, the first few she went to, she's like, don't even stop. Right. <laughs> you know, and ultimately the house that we bought was probably like 30th on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mind you, it was crazy that there were 30 houses available and a realtor that had a lot of time to spend. <laughs> um, but, but the fact was, it goes back to if we were just stuck with trying to do something online, we probably wouldn't have found the house that we right. ended up with. That's so. right. That's yeah. right. For sure. Okay. So you both dealing with public service, you've been on planning and zoning and you're on council right now. So first I have to say y'all are very, very brave. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought about at one point in the past, I thought about being on planning and zoning in my town. Unfortunately, I live in the most anti-developer town, it's Flower Mound, yeah. um, and I'm not an anti-development person. So it was not a really good fit. So for some reason I didn't make it, but <laughs> <laughs> what satisfaction do you get out of public service? Sure. What drives you to do that? Sure. Uh, I'll speak to my time on zoning just because I felt like uh, it, it made a, uh, the most impact. Um, and I, selfishly, I enjoyed learning about all the various parts of the city and what was uh, like market driven to be developed there, uh, wherever that case may be. And so that was just kind of an interesting way for me to get to know our town mm-hmm. better. Um, and learning the intricacies of what it takes to do a project, because it is not easy to be a real estate developer whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, elements um, at play, neighborhoods, the developer, financial constraints, time constraints, uh, you name it. Mm-hmm. And But developers are those that really, I think, help build like the city that we live in, that we go to. You, know, you like going somewhere, 
to go have an experience, go to dinner or go to a movie theater. Well, guess what? A real estate developer built that for you to enjoy. Um, people get really uh, protective about their neighborhood and a lot of you know NIMBY, not in my backyard, with whatever the case may be. And uh, Fort Worth ex- has experienced a lot of explosive growth, as we know, which with that comes a lot of zoning cases right. because you've got to increase density to accommodate a lot of folks. Uh, you've got um, you know affordable housing on one end and trying to protect um, neighborhoods. Not wanting multifamily is a reoccurring theme that comes up. Historic preservation is one. I got a lot of satisfaction just learning about all of those intricacies, getting to participate in the growth of the city, and candidly to be a a voice for pro development. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know these boards and commissions are comprised of folks that aren't necessarily knowledgeable about the industry that that border commission is about, which on one hand I get you want someone that's sort of a, a blank slate and isn't coming in with a bias, but at the same time, you kind of need some industry knowledge to know, uh, have some context of what's trying to be accomplished because with you know one quick vote, it can completely scrap a project that took months and months mm-hmm. and thousands, tens of thousands, in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, the gravity of those projects uh, was really meaningful in my eight years. I got to sit through you know TCU overlay, the historic uh, stockyards overlay, um, numerous text amendments, you know, some big cases that pop out in my mind are uh, the whiskey garden, the Glen Garden, um, no, whiskey ranch. Uh, whiskey ranch uh, was a big one, and I, I like projects that come in and take something and do an adaptive reuse of an existing uh, mm-hmm. structure, or uh, taking just a blank slate of land and seeing what can it be, and just how that impacts uh, those neighborhoods and communities, and really having an impact. And um, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And I think my viewpoint is, um, you know, some playing on some of the things he will talked about or um, this, we are growing so fast. I mean, there's a lot of things coming at us as a city. When you're talking about we're approaching a million people, uh, you know, depending on which which ranking you're looking at, we're 12th, 13th largest mm-hmm. city, um, growing at a very fast pace. And so how do you balance all that? What do you look, what do you look at? And, you know, I, I'm the only real estate broker that's on city council. So, um, you know, try as best I can to look at projects fairly and making sure we're balancing um, not just the developers piece of it and, you know, very involved with them and, and, and very proud that we've gotten to a lot of win-win situations where the neighborhoods did not want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we figured out a path forward that would, would get the development done, may have to change in some ways, uh, but the neighborhood is happy and satisfied with it. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotion that goes into it. So you kind of have to sometimes pull that out and just talk about what, is the, what are the benefits or the detriment to the project. Um, also, are we as a city keeping up with the infrastructure that is needed for that project? Um, that's a lot of things that we're dealing with now, um, especially in the north part of Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. There's over 250, it's probably grown since this number, I have 250,000 people that live north of 820 in the city of Fort Worth. So when you think about that growth that goes all the way up to the Speedway, um, that that we really, really, and I wasn't on council at that point, really didn't pay attention to that growth. 
Uh, I use that as an, as an example because I have the west part of Fort Worth, so go basically TCU campus, stadium side, all the way out to Walsh in Parker County. All the growth that's happening there, and um, I will not be serving in this position in, in a decade, but whomever is, I'm not going to leave them with the problems of cleaning that, that up. Mm -hmm. um, and so really in there, understanding that, because of that, I sit on the uh, North Central Texas Council of Governments, the RTC, Regional Transportation uh, Council. Um, so have you know monthly meetings as we talk about. And if you don't know how our dollars are spent, at least federal and state, they all go into a regional for transportation and they look at it regionally. So Michael Morris runs that for us um, and looks at the region of what we're doing. So um, supplements a lot of dollars, um, federal grants, other things as we continue to build. But I think that's our biggest issue as we continue to grow as a region. How are, how are we addressing that? What does that look like? And for me, when you back to your original question of the, the public service piece of it, it really is as um, looking at how you can help. And uh, you know, with the decisions I have to make, um, is you know, I have my 80-year-old parents, and I've got my 15-year-old twin daughters and a seven-year-old. So I'm looking at decisions as you know, as a 51-year-old man too. How are all these going to affect? I'll still be around when a lot of these decisions come to fruition. Uh, my daughters definitely will be, but how is it also affecting um, all of our populations? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have to look at it from an equity piece across the city. We've done a lot of investment in different er in certain areas of the city, but we have to continue to look at um, where we're um, deploying those dollars and making sure it's a good quality of life for everybody. Right. So you talked about some, you know, the, the developers and the neighborhoods and kind of getting them on the same page and suggesting things to get the deal done. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you can do? And Yeah, I think you have to look at what really, uh, first of all, I think you have to look, I, how I look, I'll just say how I approach it. I have to look at what is the win-win here. Mm -hmm. We know, you know, I can use certain, uh, certain developments. We know we need housing. So what does that housing look like? And uh, you know, neighborhoods, are, uh, you know, the NIMBY, not in my backyard, they don't want apartments uh, a lot of times, right? They don't want apartments next to them. So what, how do we address that? And we know that we need the housing. Um, okay, so are there other products that are out there? And you know, was able to get through you know, uh, one of these rent to own, I mean, uh, not rent to own, but uh, rental uh, uh, products mm -hmm. that are uh, you know, small, A5 single family home mm -hmm. rental products, they're popping up all over the place. Mm -hmm. But part of that's sitting down with the neighborhood because I think there's still a, a traditional thought that you, you know, are young, you live in an apartment, maybe you get married, maybe you don't, but you get older and you start investing in a house or you, you buy a house to invest and et cetera. Really explaining that I think that that market has changed and people want to be a little more mobile. Um, they don't necessarily see a house maybe as an investment, maybe they can't afford it. You know, when we talk about accessible housing, you know, I don't like to use the word affordable housing because people get really nervous about what mm -hmm. that means. Um, it, but when you try and explain them as accessible housing, meaning open to all income levels, a lot of what we would call affordable or accessible housing are your 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 first you know first year for, you know entry level teachers or um, you know firefighters or police officers. Those are the people that can afford that. So it's not this nebulous that that person that's going to which is also something I hate too, those people, et cetera, is, is something that drives me a little bit crazy. Because when you, you get down to it, it's about people. And it's about figuring out um, what is the best mix across the city and what that looks like. And we all come and are in different life stages and have different goals, desires, dreams, et cetera. So I think it's really getting to heart and having those conversations with whomever it is and understanding 
Um, well, we can give it a whole, whole thing about that of just <laughs> sitting down and having conversations with people instead of lobbying uh, whatever you would like to lob on you know, social media, my keyboard warriors, et cetera. But I think when we get to the heart and sitting down with people, developers, neighborhoods, and that's what I encourage our guys to do. Anybody that comes to me is you got to sit down with the neighborhoods and figure out where, where's a path forward here. Uh, and, and sometimes you sit down with the neighborhoods and say, this is something that I think is, is good. How do we get there? And you just have those conversations. I, I have to agree with you 100. percent I was I always use the term attainable housing. Yes. Um, but I think maybe we need to have a follow up podcast to talk about that because be, it's yeah. you know one of my things that I'm kind of standing on a soapbox about is um, all the conversions mm -hmm. and it's like what we're doing right now to a great extent from you know converting large buildings downtown to apartments with sky high rents isn't helping. Right. We need to do something on a suburban standpoint that is probably more af more affordable for a developer to do and then create that level of attainable housing but we'll table that for another table that, that another sounds show. like a whole other podcast y'all exactly. can do exactly for sure missing exactly. middle missing middle missing middle is something we're talking about there you go there. yeah there you go so uh what's exciting at northern crater right now what are you guys working on um, we've got uh some exciting listings uh, on the commercial side uh Entrepreneur Park is a new uh, project that we're working on off 820 and White Settlement Road, uh, assemblage uh, that we helped one of our clients with for uh, commercial buildings, one a four-story Wells Fargo Bank Tower and then a uh, two-story 100,000 square foot office building and completely reimagining the whole thing. It's almost, um, I'm trying to think, like 250,000 square feet. Uh, that's been a really exciting project. We worked on it for about, oh, a little less than a year to assemble it all and now uh, doing, uh, renovating it, uh, speculative redevelopment. So that's been really cool. Um, we just recently uh, won an award, which we're excited about, the Crew uh, Commercial Real Estate Transaction of the Year Award, uh, which where we worked with uh, our client, it was a buyer, uh, the Tarrant County 911 Emergency District. There, uh, they receive all the inbound 911 calls for mm -hmm. all the various municipalities in Tarrant County, and their building was located right off of 121, and was is in the process of being acquired through eminent domain. It's kind of interesting. You've got mm -hmm. like one governmental entity <laughs> consuming yeah. another okay. one, oh. and uh, there are very strict timelines and things that have to happen with eminent domain. So they were mm -hmm. under a tight time line to identify a new place so we were able to help them and their requirements were just insane. Uh, they took this opportunity to combine a lot of their services, uh, new training facility, uh, what they call their DAC, which is they're upgrading the technology associated with all of the calls coming in, mm -hmm. uh, where it's going to improve response times but give more like texting capability and triangulation of uh, get it to the right. Uh, like a police station faster, things of that nature. And um, they have to have like a weatherproof or like a, you know, their concrete box for the, all the server room has all these fail safes and backup mm -hmm. redundant systems and whatnot. So at any rate, we found them a building that was a foreclosure, if you can believe that. Um, they're, they're happening. So this was <laughs> earlier this year. Uh, it was the first foreclosure uh, transaction I'd seen in the wake of, you know, interest rates going up. Right, so that right. was fascinating. And what made it all the more complicated was that the property 
uh, after being foreclosed, it was foreclosed by the bank that was located in Colorado. So an out-of-state bank owner having to go through their board while we're trying to like do a really fast transaction because of eminent domain. Right. And then layer on that bank was in the process of being acquired by another bank. Of course. <laughs> so we had Which two, is probably a failed bank, maybe. years <laughs> of, of bureaucracy. Of bureaucracy. Yes, it was insane, yes. but we got it done. And uh, there were a lot of crew members involved in that transaction, so it was really neat uh, to be able to work with all the fine ladies at crew and the various uh, groups that they're with. So, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the things I'll say that we're doing too, I think a lot of, like taking this a 30,000 foot view is really getting back to basics. I think 2022 was so fast and furious. Mm-hmm. Uh, deals were happening all the time. 2023 slowed down a little bit, yeah. but with our agents and us, et cetera, peeling back and saying, you know, just back to basics with business. Where, how, what do our systems and processes look mm-hmm. like? How are we, uh, we kind of have a little breathing room to do that now. And I think it's good every so often for a business to sort of peel back and say, wait, we kind of did that, but why are we doing that? Should we be spending money there? Or should we be spending it here? What do we look like? Uh, look at look at there. And so we've been spending a lot of time just working on the, the business piece of the business yeah. and what that looks like. That's really well said. And to add on to that, today's environment reminds me of when I got started in the real estate business in 2008. Yeah, you talked about buying your house in 2009. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, right. And and so it has been, you know, I'll use quotes, easy to be a real estate agent mm-hmm. the last 10 years, sure. give or take, you know, with the economic environment we've had and living in North Texas and low interest rates and all that, uh, that it, it business was everywhere. You know, you just get your license, hang your shingle and mm-hmm. like, boom, here's, yeah. here's a lead, here's a lead, here's a lead. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And fairly abruptly. And it will be interesting to watch uh, the Trek real estate licensure count over the next couple of years, yeah. I anticipate. Mm-hmm. A lot of our weekend warrior real estate agents are going to be dropping off uh, when they found out that, man, this, it's actual this, work. this it's is kind of work. This is kind of hard sometimes. <laughs> like, man, I got to like dig in and maybe do some cold calling mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And uh, so to Michael's point, we've really taken this opportunity to look at our processes uh, we've begun the EOS, Entrepreneur's Operating System. Uh, we've implemented that in our business, um, which is, I'm really excited to see how that helps make our make the business more efficient. Um, we've got a great CRM tool uh, that we've been configuring for the last like two years, refining it, uh, where we've developed a lot of APIs that automatically feed leads from all these uh, subscribed marketing websites that we we work with now leads are funneling directly into it and just populating for the agent to kind of give them a, a cold call or it's not a cold call at that point but a list of folks to call so uh lots of systems and processes lots of systems and yeah. processes god bless this guy <laughs> that is not always my strong suit so uh, so during that discussion about the crm did you see off camera our marketing person liz jumping up and down yeah, <laughs> oh, nice. yeah it's, we, uh, we've been working on our crm system yeah. for a bit too see, yeah. well see and it's great to hear like even a, a company the size of weaver to, to it it's not yeah. easy it takes a lot mm-hmm. of work mm-hmm. to to configure it to your needs and uh, but if you put the time in and you know get it working right yeah. it really yeah. can help you have exponential growth so exactly yeah so what makes you excited about being in Fort Worth 
I got all the things we just talked about. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say it, uh, Fort Worth right now, you know, fastest growing city in the, in the country. Um, it seems like there is a buzz and a vibe that's happening. It's, it's been, been there for a little bit, but keeps even during this market where I think people are nervous, still lots of transactions, lots of people moving there. Um, and what I love about it, you know, again, I, I said earlier that in 2000, when my wife and I left, we were not coming back to Fort Worth. And whatever happened in that decade, the 14 years that we moved back, you, you see it still being built upon. And you, you know, there were maybe a few restaurants. Now there's, there's whatever you fancy you can find um, and, and more opening daily. You see areas being revitalized, which is exciting. You see, um, you know, just the growth overall. Uh, of happening of how far we go west and south and you know the Chisholm Trail Parkway where I live off of I mean that growth will still continue mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's an interesting time and I think everybody can find their place in Fort Worth mm-hmm. um, we, you know we talked a little bit earlier maybe nightlife etc there's there are places to go and there are things to do no matter where you where you are um, and I think that's what's exciting for me is to see that growth and see um, the, the expansion and, and just, um, what we continue to talk about is quality of life that you, you know, that, you know, it's overset a little bit, live, work and play, but it really is true. And I think people move to Fort Worth, uh, because of the quality of life that you can, mm-hmm. you know, you're not working 12 hour days. My, when we, we were deciding to move back, we talked about going back to Washington and my wife just looked at me and said, I don't want to work 12 hour days anymore, which is kind of a badge of honor, right? Yeah. That you worked you were there before the boss and, and after the boss and you stayed late and she, she, we were just in a different phase. And so I think that that's, what's exciting for me is, you know, you can really enjoy your life in a lot of different ways there in Fort Worth. Well said. <laughs> so I'll have to ask the last question and we've asked everybody from Fort Worth who's been on the show um, and don't divulge anything we, that you can't from your position in council, but what do you see is what's going to happen with Panther Island? Mm. Uh, I, I'm excited about, uh, it, you know, I think what it got lost in the whole project got lost in for a long period of time was um, the economic development piece and the government funding that. What does that look like? Remember, this was originally was a flood control mm-hmm. project. Mm-hmm. That's how it got started. And then the economic de- piece came later. So I, th- I think uh, what, what is happening now is, uh, you know, Congresswoman Granger, Chair- Chairwoman Granger, um, has been able to deliver the other piece of, of the, the funds, and, and there's some other parts that need to be done. But we've peeled off the economic development piece and made that its own thing. So we'll get the flood control done. Um, we have some beautiful bridges without water under them now that need, need that finished. Um, but I'm excited about the overall, what that does for Fort Worth to understand, and we're now there's a, there's a group been uh, brought together about a master plan um, what, how that feeds into Fort Worth. If you think about it, you leave Fort Worth, you drive through what will be Panther Island, mm-hmm. and you really don't get to any other commercial until you get to Northside mm-hmm. and then into the stockyards. Right. So you think about that piece of property and what it can look like. Um, there's been a smattering of some uh, commercial down there. You have um, you know, some living. Uh, you also have the Transform 1012 project that will be a great art- artistic place of healing. It was, it was a, a former KKK building that's now part of um, an, uh, an artistic enclave mm-hmm. is the best I can describe it. Um, that will be just phenomenal for Fort Worth. Um, so I'm excited about all that. There's um, talk of 
will there'll be some funding of some other um, the park that's at the top of that bridge that feeds off um, downtown Fort Worth Inc is leading that effort as well as a lot of efforts downtown but you really think about the phenomenal expansion of downtown won't just be this 26 blocks or whatever it is down and you look at Panther Island and realize there is a huge potential for whatever it looks like it may be one company you know at one point that was time to talk, uh, talk that there may be some but it, there could be a smattering of redevelopment i'm excited to see those people that do urban planning what that looks like and what that can mean for fort worth it's you know it's hearing you say all that it's not unlike uptown dallas was 35 40 years ago no. before was it columbus and post started putting in you know, all the multifamily and gentrifying that neighborhood, yeah. you know, it was kind of like between downtown and city place. You didn't want to go there. Right. And now it's just amazing. Yeah. And I, I'll say that at this point, I guess what I'm excited, you use the word gentrific, gentrifying gentrification. There is no population that lives there now. Right. So you aren't really displacing anybody, which I, I have serious issues with when we start doing that. What mm -hmm. does development look like? Um, but there really is. There's some great historic buildings that mm -hmm. will be saved as part of that. I just named one of them. But you think of that, it's it's sort of a clean slate. And how often do you get that with a major uh, mm -hmm. city, a downtown clean slate that you can develop into whatever it is? Not in this country. Not in this country, <laughs> yeah. for sure. And so I'm, I'm excited about that, what that means. I, I, probably I'll be long gone by the time it's all done, but <laughs> maybe all of us will. I don't know. You might <laughs> live forever, but uh, you think... <laughs> But but he, but it, it is very exciting. You don't get that very often. Right. So. Yep. No, well said. Uh, yeah. I mean, it really is a blank slate. Uh, it was neat to work on it. You know, from a zoning standpoint, with how you know it's it can be so many different things, and just tying in the the flood control and the water system and how what opportunities that presents uh, makes it all the more exciting. Mm -hmm. So it'll be really cool. Well, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Aaron Howard, thanks for having us. This has really, been fun. Thank you. Really yeah, enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you. It. Be sure and catch all of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and on our website at www.weaver.com.